From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. There was like a Family Guy episode when they had the family of, like the Simpsons family came to Rhode Island. And I can't believe I just admitted on this podcast that I actually watch Family Guy sometimes. Hello and welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a show about the global economy. It's Thursday, October 13th. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. And I'm Kate Smith, an editor with Bloomberg in New York. Today, we're going to be talking all about the cost of childcare and why it's an important economic issue. But first, I wanted to say that I'm even more excited than usual about today's show. Do you know why, Kate? I think I do, but keep going. Well, you know, I don't know if you're too young for this, but there's a great tradition of crossover episodes of TV shows. You've had you'd have the uh, character from one show go on another show, and then the the network would promote it as a quote unquote very special episode. One of the most famous was when Steve Urkel went on Full House. That was a major, major uh, event in the history of television. Did you know that, Kate? <laughs> um, I didn't know that it was a very special event in television history, but I think I have seen this because there was like a Family Guy episode when they had the family of, like the Simpsons family came to Rhode Island, and I can't believe I just admitted on this podcast that I actually watch Family Guy sometimes. It's oh, well. quite, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's wonderful. It is. It's really good. <laughs> Well, all right. Well, in that tradition, so Scott brought this up. In that tradition, today we're going to be giving our listeners our very own crossover episode of Benchmark. So we have a number of excellent podcasts here at Bloomberg right now. I'm not sure if you guys realize that. One of them is called Game Plan, and that's all about life at the office. So Rebecca Greenfield is one of their co-hosts, and she's with us today in the studio. Hey, Rebecca. Hey. Thanks so, for having me. <laughs> glad you could be with us. So uh, so this has been getting lost in all the madness of this election campaign, but child care is actually the one issue that both candidates sort of agree on, uh, at least in that it's very expensive and the government should help Americans by defraying some of the cost. That's what already happens in a lot of European countries that are heavily subsidized child care, especially in Scandinavia and Western Europe. Exactly. And Donald Trump released a plan last month to tackle the cost through tax deductions and rebates and a mandated maternity leave. Now, Hillary Clinton, on the other side, has also pledged universal pre-kindergarten access and expansion of the child tax credit and scholarships for parents who are in school. Now, as my... 
DC colleague Michelle Jamrisco has reported a recent study showed full-time care in centers for young children costs almost $10,000 a year, about what you'd pay for tuition at an in-state college. And if you want an in-home caregiver like a nanny, it'll cost you around $28,000. It's more than half of median U.S. household income. On the other hand, you have uh, child care workers making very low wages. Just under $10 an hour is the median wage in, in the United States. And as a point of comparison, people who walk dogs make more money. And, and you're kind of familiar with that, right, right, Kate? Yeah, as I can personally attest, and my bank account can personally attest, dog, dog walking, especially here in New York, is really expensive. Um, just as a way of comparison, my dog walker is about $50 a day. And um, my dog is not the only one, so he's collecting that from a few other people, too. So it's, it's pretty lucrative business here. Well, we're going to try to reconcile all these uh, strings today in talking about childcare, And later on, we'll talk with the head of a company that runs uh, more than 200 child care centers in the U.S., and he'll, he'll, ta- he'll tell us about how this all came to be. But first, R- Rebecca, in your day job as a reporter, you've written a lot about this issue. What have you found? What can you tell us? Yeah, so one thing that I tried to find out is just, like, why child care is getting getting so much more expensive and is so expensive. Um, like you said, it's really frustrating for parents, especially working parents. Um, and it's one of these things that it's very hard to make more efficient. Even though you've mentioned that labor costs are very low per person, um, it gets very expensive really fast because you know there are regulations for really good reasons about how many people can watch your children um, and the real estate of the space. And it, it's state by state, so it's a bit confusing. But you can only bring down labor costs so much for um, a child care center. So that's definitely one thing that I found that's keeping the price up. Another possibility for driving the price up is that the only way really to bring it down would be government funding. And um, as you mentioned, here in the U.S., there's a lot of debate about how to do that. And the candidates have been talking about it, but so far it's been like a really piecemeal process. Um, And for now, people have to rely on um, their own money, or if they're very, very lucky, their employers to offer them some sort of help. Yeah, well, let's talk about this some more. I mean, as as you guys may know, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I do have a personal stake in this issue. I have two young daughters, age four and two, uh, because I live in Maryland and we don't have universal pre-K there. Uh, or or other kinds of subsidies for young children. They're both in private preschool now, which is taking up a very significant chunk of my income. And I'm looking forward to next year when my older daughter's in kindergarten and some of that will start to go away. But anyway, I'm, I'm lucky that I can afford this anyway and send my kids to a decent place. But Rebecca, how how do most parents of young kids make it work? It's really difficult for a lot of people. I, I mean, I've heard of a lot of families that have two working parents where both the parents work to basically pay for daycare. I mean, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. If, you know, one person could stay home and could care for the kids, but both people want to work. Um, and so they have to work, but basically that entire salary is just going towards daycare. So that's one way people do it. I mean, there are some programs here in New York. We do have um, pre-K and um, there's Head Start programs, but it's, it is really difficult for a lot of families. And there have been a lot of stories written about uh, people struggling to pay for child care. It seems that from what I'm hearing, and I don't have children yet, so I, you know, I haven't had to deal with this yet. But it seems like it's kind of like a state by state approach. Is that right? Yeah, because we don't have 
federal laws for most of these things, much like maternity leave, family leave, uh, paid sick leave, um, the changes are happening on municipal and state levels. Interesting. And, and the funding then comes from state and local taxes only? Yeah, it really depends on the program. Rebecca, what about companies that have child care facilities in-house? It seems like maybe that used to be more common, but now it's dwindled to almost nothing. What's going on with that? Yeah, I wrote a story recently about that, um, how, you know, and it was never a hugely popular benefit, but it it was something that a chunk of companies were offering, and now something like 2% of companies offer um, a subsidized or unsubsidized child care um, at or near a workplace, which is a benefit that employees obviously really like. It's just, again, so expensive and complicated for companies to offer it that even now as we're seeing an increase in a lot of benefits like this, like we have seen an increase in certain industries of maternity leave and parental leave and family-friendly benefits because they know that's what employees want. Um, daycare on-site just hasn't picked up because it's like a huge headache for um, companies. And they'd rather just, the, the way more popular way to deal with this and what we have here at Bloomberg is that you just can um, put tax-deducted money towards your kids' child care. Um, but only five thousand dollars right. a year, as as I'm as I've become uh, well aware. Right. Yeah, that's the limit. That limit. Um, yeah. So that's like a much easier benefit. You know, they don't have to worry about staffing or liability of having kids nearby or all those things that come with the complications of running a daycare. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to get some answers straight from an authoritative source. His name is Scott Cotter, and he's the president and CEO of Child Care Network. <laughs> Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. Welcome back. We're joined now by someone who can give us an insider's view of childcare costs. Scott Cotter is the president and CEO of Childcare Network, it has 249 childcare centers across 13 states in the southeastern U.S., from Texas to Florida and all the way up to Richmond, Virginia, not too far from D.C. He's joining us now by phone from his headquarters in Columbus, Georgia. Scott, thanks so much for being our guest today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate the opportunity. Glad to have you. Now, let me ask you first, how would you break down your monthly fees? Uh, you were telling me earlier it's around people pay an average of around 700 bucks a month. Where do those dollars go into your costs when it comes to labor, facilities, administration, compliance, insurance, and so on and so forth? Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you would expect, you know, in a service business like this, uh, we employ a lot of teachers. So, you know, our number one cost is is labor. And it, it's roughly, you know, about half of our of our total cost, you know, overall in terms of the, you know, direct operating cost, you know, of a school, you know, the, the administrators, you know, through the, uh, you know, teachers and other floating staff, you know, that we employ, you know, facility cost, you're going to be, a, you know, another, you know, 20 percent, and that's going to be, roughly, you know, the, you know, the rents on the properties, the property taxes, uh, insurances, uh, you know, those those costs. 
um, and then you've got another um, another 20% in a variety of variable costs from food, your supplies, consumables, utilities, repairs and maintenance on a facility, uh, you know, those types of things. And then our corporate, you know, administrative costs probably run between, you know, five to six and a half percent, you know, you know, per year. Uh, and that's generally how things, uh, you know, break down. I mean, it's certainly... But obviously, the number one component is is the labor force, for sure. And which of those costs have seen the fastest increase in recent years? Has anything been slowing or falling? And where have you been able to save money? Well, I'd say, you know, on the saving side, you know, generally food costs have been coming down or at least been much more stable. Uh, you know, we do provide um, also an after-school program. So we've got, uh, you know, a fleet of 600 buses that are on the road every day. And and so, you know, gas costs over the last five years have been up and down, and certainly we've been at a down phase, you know, for the last, you know, 18 months or so. And I think some of that throughput has helped, you know, on the food cost side as well. But even though, you know, individual unit costs for food are down, um, you know, the regulatory changes that uh, USDA made, you know, with the meal components, you know, we're actually investing in, in higher quality, uh, you know, food that we're serving today with, the, you know, the changes in the, in the food pyramid. So, while the unit costs are less, you know, we're actually actually putting more dollars towards uh, food associated with the menu changes, you know, that have been made. And then on the on the labor side, certainly if you go back to, um, you know, coming out of the recession in 2011 and on a, for a child care business, that's definitely a, you know, a double edged sword in that, you know, uh, it's jobs that drive the need for parents, you know, to um, seek out, you know, child care services. And so, you know, demand coming out of the recession was certainly lower, but at a 10% unemployment, you know, the labor pool that we had to draw from was, you know, significantly greater. And we had, you know, many more opportunities on, on the employment side, particularly with, you know, higher credentialed folks who may have been displaced, you know, out of the public school systems and that type of thing. So, but really, you know, over the last, you know, five to six years as the, you know, economy has recovered and the labor pool has tightened up and, and we've really seen, uh, you know, pretty significant tightening, you know, in the last, you know, 18 months. Um, and so really there's been a real driver on, you know, you know, our cost per hour of labor in the last, you know, couple of years as we continue to try to, uh, you know, maintain the, you know, the quality of our staff and particularly the teacher credential component. Because one thing that, uh, you know, most states are not changing the minimum requirements, but they've instituted what are called voluntary quality um, rating and improvement systems, QRIS systems. And so we do our best to participate in those system systems have been, you know, highly successful. But, you know, one of the measurements that they use is the education level of your staff and in order to score high in those uh, measurements. So if I have an associate degree teacher and she were to leave, then I've got to go back into the workforce and try to replace that individual with a, uh, an associate degree teacher in order to maintain my current rating. And that's where we're seeing, you know, significant uh, um, challenges today in replacing someone, you know, on the higher end of the credentials and ultimately, you know, the, the you know, incurring higher costs to employ that, that, uh, that person moving in. And, and I'd also say while we, um, you know, the, the cost per, you know, labor hour are going up today uh, pretty uh, pretty rapidly. Our business has just become, you know, so much more complex. And, and I don't know that this is necessarily specific just to, you know, child care network, but we have lots of just other programs outside of just child care for working parents. So we're involved in Head Start, Early Head Start, state pre-K programs, and, you know, in a variety of other, you know, very specialized programs. And, you know, each one of those comes with its own unique set of uh, programmatic requirements and regulations. And so, Ultimately, we're just having to employ more people 
to you know run our business to you know ensure you know the quality control side to uh, invest in professional development you know with our teachers from a from a training perspective so the business has definitely gotten more complex and 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 ultimately you know we're just generally it takes more people you know to run a high quality center what what can i interrupt for a second what you know would you say your profit margins are reasonable have they gotten bigger or smaller over the last 5 to 10 years I would just say they're stable. I mean, uh, you know, we've managed to, uh, you know, coming out of the recession, we've managed to grow our enrollment, so our, our, our facilities are more highly utilized. But again, these other cost drivers where we, we are, in, you know, investing in, in the quality of our programs and, and trying to improve, you know, our, our rating in, the, in these systems, they've been, it's, you know, it's been stable. Um, you know, it's, you know, three to 5%, you know, on, you know, on the bottom line. So that's, you know, very thin margins. And again, that's across a network of you know 250 schools, so you know it's uh, um, it can be you know somewhat variable because our, our in childcare it's a very fixed cost operation. So, you know, the first hundred uh, students in a building um, are, may not even get you to break even, depending upon you know what those uh, fixed occupancy costs. So it's only the last few children in a particular classroom um, or you know across a building, you know, facility that where any margin would be generated in terms of, you know, in profits. So this all sounds pretty reasonable the way the way you're describing it, even while, you know, people like to complain uh, about the cost of childcare in this country it takes up a, a big chunk. But it sounds like, you know, it's not a terribly, uh, you know, hugely profitable business and there's all sorts of costs and issues you have to deal with. Is there anything outside of direct government subsidies or, or Kinds of tax, additional tax deductions that would lower the cost for the uh, for the for the customer. You know, unfortunately, not. I mean, it's just an expensive operation to to maintain. And you know, you think about you know the cost of say a pre K program. You know, in the public schools, well, you know, those programs are only operating for for the school day, say six six and a half hours. Uh, you know, in you know in childcare settings, you know, we're open for for twelve hours or more per day. Uh, you know, we don't have a specific drop-off and pickup time. You know, parents, we're, we're trying to meet a working parent's needs. So depending upon their schedules, you know, children are coming in and out of the program, you know, throughout the day. And um, so from try, you know, having to have a staffing uh, model that meets those, uh, you know, parents' needs, it's just, it's pretty, pretty intensive, to be honest. I mean, in terms of total hourly, um, you know, an hourly schedule that has to be maintained, you know, in a center. So, um you know, I, I really think it's ultimately going to take, you know, as a country and us, you know, deciding that this, you know, certainly given all the brain research, you know, that's out there, that, uh, you know, this is something that's very foundational. And, you know, we've got to prepare students for, you know, for kindergarten so that they're prepared for success, when, you know, when they enter the public school system. And, and you know, today, I just don't think we, we are, uh, have, are making those investments. I mean, certainly over the last five years, there's been a lot of talk um, and, and, um uh, you know, I see potential, you know, on the horizon, both with, you know, both with what both candidates have have uh, somewhat promised in their campaigns. And there's been an increased focus, you know, on child care. And well, if I can jump in, speaking about sure. those two campaigns, I mean, you know, they both have come out with two different approaches to pre-kindergarten care and child care. I mean, is there one in particular that you as a business person prefers that you think would be better for your business? 
Not uh, not specifically, because they haven't really provided a, a great deal of detail. I mean, one thing that I would hope that, uh, you know, we can preserve, you know, through any um, um, additional investments that uh, are made, whether they be federal or various state investments, is to be able to preserve uh, parental choice. You know, I think that uh, that a one-size-fits-all model is, is not uh, going to be best and ultimately... Um, you know, not lead to the outcomes that, uh, you know, that we're looking for, you know, for children. So I think that we should, you know, be able to have a variety of models and variety of settings that, you know, can, you know, that are all high quality, of course, um, and meet those uh, requirements. But but I think just giving giving parents choice in whatever systems are developed is critically important to the, you know, overall, you know, success. Because um, I, I generally, you know, just believe that's important to be maintained today. Re- Rebecca, do you want to jump in with one question that you could not find the answer to in your previous reporting? Yeah, I. So you may have alluded to some of the answers already, but I, I've been trying to track down why childcare costs are reportedly rising faster than inflation, um, and I. It seems like maybe you think like the competitive job market might have to do with it. Are you paying your labor more? Yeah, no, absolutely. No, absolutely. I'm paying more. And I see that. And, and really, I think some of the um, data and statistics that are out there, you know, there's a lag period. Uh, and I've seen a real acceleration um, in those costs, you know, in the last, um, you know, 24 months. Yeah, so, I found that, you know, it's reported that child care workers make something like $10 an hour. It's some like really low rate, but for, it sounds like you pay them more than that. No, I'd say, you know, we're in that range. I mean, we're in, depending upon an individual's credentials, and again, keep in mind that we operate in the South uh, predominantly, you know, we're not, we are in a number of, you know, urban or metro markets, but we're also across, you know, a lot of smaller, you know, sort of um, second tier cities, but, you know, so we're in that 8 to $12 uh, an hour plus, you know, range. Uh, you know, there are other benefits associated with that, and particularly many of our uh, teachers also uh, have uh, children in our centers, so they ultimately get significantly reduced, um, you know, child care. So when you sort of look at that um, real wage, you know, if, you were, if they had to place their own child in child care and then seek employment, you know, elsewhere in terms of what that might uh, look like. But there's definitely been a real acceleration, you know, over the last, you know, 24 months in, in wage costs for us as we're you know, in the market trying to compete, you know, for highly qualified staff. And then, I guess, as I said earlier, we're just employing more people because, again, the business is becoming more complex. There's so many other programmatic requirements from this program to that one that just takes more people. And and in all honesty, you know, I think if you were to poll my administrators today, um, you know, there there's pretty significant fatigue and burnout, you know, right now, uh, you know, with them just given, you know, all the additional responsibilities that they have today, um, you know, with uh, various, you know, um, oversight, you know, which is necessary. I'm not, I'm not complaining about it, but it's just a significantly different environment than even just five years ago. All right. Scott, we're going to have to leave it there. This has been very, very informative, and we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. No, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. And Rebecca, thank you very much for being with us, too. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, Benchmark will be back next week. And until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Pocket Cast, and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can talk to us and follow us on Twitter at, at Scott Landman. You can find me at by Kate Smith. You can find our guest, Rebecca, at RZ Greenfield. And our guest company is on Twitter at, at childcare, N-E-T-W-K. 
Thank you very much and see you next week. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.